Okay. Good morning, everyone. No minute to give shiurim over here in the morning. Um, this is, again, as I mentioned yesterday, we're going to complete Be'ezus Hashem, this mimer, in which we started uh, two weeks ago, Thursday night. We continued it last Thursday night, and I gave, tried to give the shiur Friday morning, and I gave it to, to complete it but it was to the four walls, no one picked it up. Um, and uh, I think during that time that I was giving that class and no one picked it up on Friday afternoon, someone tried to sponsor a class in honor of their mother's yard site. So let's dedicate today's class. So I gave yesterday already um, half of the class that I gave on Friday. And um, today, we're going to do the last part of the class that I kind of gave on Friday, but maybe you'll be able to elaborate a little, a little better on it. And uh, hopefully now it's going to be recorded. So this was dedicated by Mrs. Bela Greenbaum. This is in honor of, I think, her mother, Chaya Sada Bas Manya, Allah HaShalom. I think it's her mother, Kalmanson, uh, whose yard site was actually on Friday when I gave the original share. So even if the actual redo is a little later on Yud Aleph of, but the, the share, actually Friday was Ches, wasn't this, but it was a continuation to Zion, was within three days of the yard site. May her neshama have a great aliyah to the greatest, highest, highest heights. May she channel lots of brachas to you, for all that you need, all that you want, for good health, nachas from the entire family. Much bracha and Allah Gutazach. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm going to pick up right where we left off yesterday uh, because all the introductions I've done in the previous classes. So we're learning yesterday the idea of Eidabe Moshe Rashi Hamatois. This is in Lakuti Torah, Daf Pei Gimel. Pei Gimel, Ahmed Bez. Remember that Ahmed Bez. Just get me get, get those other glasses. Just one second. Um, so remember that when we say bays over here, daf pei bays, bays, it means the same. Usually in Gemara, Ahmed bays means the backside, but in Lakuti Torah, there are four columns in each in each page. So Aleph is the first column, bays is the second one. So this is on Pei Gimel, the second column. We're holding on the top. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lines from the top. Okay. So the last idea we learned yesterday was on the concept of Aidabe Moshe Rashi Hamatois, that the idea is that Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the uh, the tzaddik, the 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 Moshe, preferring Davka to Moshe, but the reason why the other tzaddikim through the generation have this power is in as much as they are the channel and connected to, and they are the Moshe Rabbeinu's extension throughout all the generations. We said that's the idea of a Rebbe, um, that they are the Moshe, the Spashtusa the Moshe, and what they do is they enable us to tap, sorry, they enable us to tap um, transcendental, transcendental energies they enable us to open ourselves up to levels of soul that otherwise, which is beyond our kalim. That's the main idea we're learning, that the, the real energy lies in the makifim. 
um, which are the encompassing energies of the soul, which generally we refer to them as chayachida. That's where the energy is boundless, and that's where the bond with God is beligvul, is without an end, is limitless. Um, and on our own, through our own avoda, of our own mind and our own thinking and meditation, let's just say it's very, very difficult to reach and to, and to unplug this, this dimension of soul. And it's, with, it's through the help of Moshe Rabbeinu in which we access the, either what he explained earlier is called Rashi Hamatois, the heads of the Mate. Mate is referring to our Avoid the Pnimis, according to the first interpretation. We learned that Mate is the 12 tribes, which represent 12 different methods of serving God, and according to the primary characteristics of the spherotic um, 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 range and, and um, and uh, infrastructure in which the Jewish people, each tribe represents a different feature. And in that sense, each one of us is serving God in accordance to the capacity of our own soul. This is not a transcendental type of a service because you're working within your kalim, you're working within your vessels and containers. And that's why we have Moshe Rabbeinu who, 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 who enables us to connect to Rashi Hamatis, which Rashi means Gilgoyles, it means the, 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 the skull, which represents a level of Keser, which means a level of Hashem that's beyond, beyond the vessels, beyond the containers. And, in simple, and in the, as, he tra- as we referred to it yesterday, he refers to it as Reusa Daliba, the, 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 um, the yearning of the heart that goes beyond the stimulation of the mind, which as we learned yesterday is related to the powers of Tohu, the powers where, where the general difference between Tohu and Tikkun is the tikkun is oirois bekelim, lights and vessels, and tayu is raw energy, and therefore is unhi- un- in- uninhibited. Now the real way, and the true, uh, we keep on bringing it back to that, just a few points I do have to review, just that we actually have any idea what we're talking about, is that the real way to act, the, the real stimulator of these oirois to tayu, of these intense lights, is through the uploading of sparks of holiness, which we do through acts of mitzvahs. When we do a mitzvah, we're liberating a spark, and those sparks, which we spoke yesterday, come from the name of Shem Ban, and they go up and they rise into Samach Gimel, into the, into the infinite energies of the Ein Sof, um, and it stimulates. But the question is, stimulating and, and reaching and registering, we register all the way, all the way up high in the infinite, but the question is, does, will that in any way impact us in our realm? We're living in the world of tikkun. Our consciousness is a consciousness of tikkun, primarily our holy consciousness is a consciousness of tikkun. And our unholy consciousness is a messed up version of tohu. So it's a collapsed, fallen, it's a broken consciousness. So we're lacking the connection to the energies of tohu, both from our neshama and from our body, uh, as, we, as we are naturally. So when we elevate a spark, we, we make the connection, but that doesn't necessarily mean it will manifest in our consciousness. For it to manifest in, in our consciousness, that's the idea of Adabe Moisha Roshe Yamatis. The Moisha Rabbeinu conducts the energy down, channels it down and to stimulate and to awaken and to allow that tohu, uh, uh, a powerful, um, you know, uh, limitless, godly uh, connection to happen. That was one Peter we learned. And in that sense, Matois represents the, the, the limited and uh, uh, tikkun diga connection to Hashem. And the Rashi HaMatois 
is what is the transcendental aspect of it. And then we learned yesterday a second Pirush. And as I told you, I think it appears to me that it's the Tzemach Tzedek, in which he explains that Matis itself is already indicative of the super-rational element of the soul, because he explains that Matis means firm, rock, solid, unbudgeable, and unchangeable, in which he connects it to the concept called Eitan, the Eitan of the Neshama. And we learned all the ideas from Midrashim and so on and so forth, that that's related to the oath which God made with, with, with the, our forefathers, which is we can actually learn about next week in the parish, Parshas Ekev, Shenishbato Lavaiseinu, you have sworn to our fathers. And in another Pasuk it says, Shenishbato Lavaiseinu Mimei Kedem, and which means that this is a bond that transcends all reason and explanation, and that's why it's firm, because there's no logic and no rationale that can make it wishy-washy, that can make it, uh, that makes it up to, to reconsideration. It's, an, it's a stubbornness. It's Hashem's stubbornness in which he bonds with us beyond all reason and rationale, and our connection to God as well, which is stubborn. And um, that's why the Jewish people are called not just Shavatim, we are called Matois, firm, rock solid. And uh, so this is similar to the idea of, this also comes from the Makifim. It's a little nuanced, different than what we spoke before. We spoke before we spoke about a limitless desire, a fire in the heart that's that's going unchecked, that's going that's that's an, that's an extreme fire. It's the madness of the soul. And the and, and over here we're talking about the stubbornness of the soul. But in general, they're both related to the makifim element of the neshama, in which all these access to these the, this transcendence comes from Moshe Rabbeinu, and again, the stimulator of it is, comes through our mitzvahs that we do, in which we send up sparks from the world of Tohu, and that's what connects us to it. But in order for us, for it to manifest, as I explained it yesterday, the upload we do, the download, is where we need the, the, the connection of the channeling of Moshe Rabbeinu, who is, as we spoke yesterday, Das, Yisoyed Abba, connected to the Tzinar, to Ratzon, uh, whatever, whatever the whatever the Kabbalistic explanations that we spoke yesterday, which open us up to such to such deep consciousness, to such deep connection to Hashem. Now he's going to add a third explanation to the meaning of the word mate, and again, it will also relate to the same idea of a more transcendental connection to God related to the kaches makifim of the nisham. Gamet matois yesh Also matois we can say. It means to be mamshech from the tree of life. Everything in our world is under the under the uh, under the um, dominion, if we can say, or under the the system of the Eitzadas. There were two trees in the in the Garden of Eden. One was the more available tree which was the Eitzadas, Tovera. That's why Adam and Adam and Chava went for that first. There was another tree, we would say a little higher, much higher, called the Eitzachayim. And uh, that's deeper and higher. And had Adam and first gone to the Eitzachayim, he would have never fallen. Eitzachayim is a type of connection to God in which you can't fall. It is beyond uh, slipping and falling. The Eitzadas is a connection, it's Tov, but it could lead to the concept of, to, to an union of Ra. And, and, and in, in Avoda, in, in service, in our connection to us, what does that mean in our life? If our connection to Hashem comes from our Das, 
Das means our intellectual powers, uh, even, even the inner intellectual power, which is the power of Das, but still as, as one of our intellectual powers, which means our connection to Hashem is based on our appreciation and our decision and our, and our the, the human, our human um, energies, if you can say, which begins with our intellectual appreciation. And as a result of that, we choose to do mitzvahs, we choose to bond. Um, that's fantastic and very important that we do that. But we can't rely on that. We always have to open ourselves up to something much deeper than that because that's not reliable. Because das, the das today, which is so can be so firm and so strong, can chas um, 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 you know, uh, it can't be trusted because sometimes we experience within our das, a das to klipa. And then when we become suddenly aware of unholiness in a very deep way, we can chas very quickly relinquish our grasp on holiness and hold on to something unholy. So therefore, a Jew has to connect to Hashem with a power of amunah, with the power of Mesiris Nefesh. It's beyond our das. In other words, we are, our connection to holiness and to godliness is not a choice where we're choosing. It's beyond choice. It's beyond, when I say beyond choice, it's beyond the choice coming from das. It's more of an essential choice. It's always, and the truth is on the deepest level, that's the real choice, where you're choosing from your essence, where the, the, this, is, this, is, this is who you are and what you are, and it can't be any different. You so identify with godliness that, that, that only holiness and godliness resonate with you. Anything else is essentially rejected. That level of connection, again, is from the, is, it's from the godly in us, not from the human in us. It's not from our human limited decision-making. It's from the spark of Hashem that is a time that's called tree of life, where we are one with Hashem with an unbreakable bond. It's the pintalayid, similar to the concept we are just learning about right before, about the idea of that eitan, the unbreakable bond with God. Um, and that's called mata. Mata is a branch, but it's a higher branch. It's a branch of the Eitzachayim, not a branch of the Eitzadas. So, what that would mean, and again, this is the way I, 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 I think to understand, I think I'm understanding this, I hope I'm right and not wrong, is that, you know, the difference between the mat, uh, uh, mat the, the tribes, the Jewish people are called matos, which means tribes, but at other times we're called shvatim. What's the difference between shevet and mate? Shevet is a branch, mate is a staff. But in, in accordance to the explanation that we're learning now, mate is also a branch, but a branch where it is higher up in its connection to the tree. Shevet represents, shevet is malash and hamshacha. So shevet means a drawing forth in where the branch is extending far, far, far away from the tree trunk and definitely from the tree roots. And because it extends and it goes to a more external, more farther away, it uh, is a little weaker. As opposed to the mata, which is the part of the tree that's very, very firm and very strong because it is attached very, very close to the tree. Um, and we're, why is that called mata? And that's called shevet. So first of all, in a tree itself, you see that the... See, sometimes the explanation is that when does a shevet become a mata? When you disconnect a, 
a tree branch, a twig from the tree, and it dries up, it becomes firm, it becomes a staff. Um, that's if we translate mata as a staff. But mata sometimes is mata firm and strong, not because of its disconnection from the tree. Now we'll soon see that really both of them are, both of them are related. These two opposite pirushim. In other words, there's one pirushim mata that mata is called a mata, firm and hard, a staff, a stick. It's because it's not receiving nurture from the tree, it stiffens up, it dries up, and it gets hard. It becomes a hard stick. Um, but there's another reason why mata is called a mata. And that is it's hard because it's just connected to the tree and it's very thick. So you see a branch connected to the tree is thick and firm and strong. When the branch extends further, it gets more pliable further up. So what does that mean? And how does it relate to the, and what is the idea of mata versus shevet? You see, shevet means a hamshacha. Like we know there is a flying star is called Koichva de Shavit. And what does that mean? It's like the star was there, a streak, a, a, a star as it streaks across the sky, making this, 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 this light go across the sky, this, 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 this streak of light going across the sky. It's called Shavit because it's, it's an emanation from the source. It's going outward. Now we know the idea that everything, every emanation, that goes out gets weaker the farther it goes. Light gets less and less and less, gets weaker as it's extending. So the concept of shavit, because shavit means an extension, it refers to a, a on the one hand, it's great because it's, it's, it's extending the light, it's extending the source to a, to a place where the source on its own isn't reaching. It's extending its influence. But the mere, because it's going farther and farther away, it's in, it, it itself is weaker than in the source. So what would that mean? That's the concept of the Shvatim. The Shvatim, the, which are the tribes of Israel, their level of soul of the tribes of Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda is not as great as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The Avos have a far deeper, more profound, and deeper connection to God than the children have. As we know, there the, and I explained in Hasidus that the Avis were Yehudi Allah, the higher unity, the Shvatim are Yehudi Tata, the lower unity, the level of Baruch Shem Kavod Machus versus Shema Yisrael Hashem Lakeinu Hashem Achad, which is a much deeper level of consciousness and connection to God. There is a quality to the to the to the to the to the children, is because they're impacting the world more. They're descending more into. The, 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 you know, you have to really influence somewhere, you have to become part of what is, and then you can influence from the inside. If you're above it, then no one relates to you. So that's why, that's one of the reasons for exile. The Jewish people have to extend, we have to extend our tentacles throughout the entire world so that we can elevate and lift the entire world. But by extending the tentacles, the energy in the tentacle is not as powerful as the energy in the main part of the octopus or whatever it is. It's already an extension of it. Um, so that's the concept of Shvatim. And spiritually, it's explained that the Shvatim are called Shvatim when they bring godliness down into Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya, into the three lower worlds. Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya. And that's called Shavit. You're the, 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 there's a Hamshacha, there's a flow. And, and that's weaker. That's the idea that the, the twig further up, the tree trunk, 
He can't move it. The, but the, as the, 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 the tree branches go out, it's bendable. They're not as powerful, but they extend out, so that's fantastic. What does mate mean? Mate means to, to um, yield, or to bend. So it's, it's the same concept of shavit, which means a, a drawing forth and a, something flowing outward. But mate is a, is a preliminary state of, of extension. It's an extension, but the extension only at the very, very beginning. So it's considered not like the source has extended itself, but rather the source is only tilted a little bit. So it would be, the, the example would be the difference between the further, the branch as it's going out, where it's, where it's becoming pliable and soft, and the branch as it is connected to the tree trunk, over there, because it's still so close to the source, the firmness of the tree, the, the, the strength of the tree itself, is felt in the branch as well, because it's only the beginning of the branch. The branch, the tree itself, is tilting outward. And that's the idea of mate. So the shvatim are a lower level of the forefathers, even on this level, but they're, they are still in atzilus. They're still above, this is a level of the tribes where they're still very close to their source, and therefore still have within themselves this, the strength of their source. It's the level of the Nishvatim's Nishama says they're still in the realm of Atsilus and they haven't descended yet. Now, what, and what does that mean regarding the Shvatim, the tribes of Israel, which is all of us, is that we, it's not that, you know, it's we once were there and now we're here. We once were Matais and we're, we're, we're now Shvatim. It means two levels in our own existence a more inner state of soul, a more inner state of being, a deeper state of our neshama, where our neshama is still living in Atsilos, it's still uh, uh, just an ex a tiny tilting of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov tilting outward, so we're their children, but we're, but we're still very much tagging along to them. And then there is the more external part of our neshama, which is our everyday consciousness, and which goes out to descend into the the daily, into daily living, into this world. In a sense, we can understand like kind of the difference between the weekday Jew and the Shabbos Jew. The weekday, we're in a more, we're in a shavit state, and on Shabbos, we're in a matoi state. So we find this concept that the Shvatim exists on two levels. He's gonna bring, he's actually gonna make a reference of it in a moment. There is what's called uh, uh, Shvatim, and there is what's called Shiftei Ka. We say it in davening, on Shabbos we take say it. Shabbos in the morning, we say it's one of the Shir HaMalois, a song that was sung on the steps of the, of the maybe it has to do with the steps, because that's the rising up to the Beis HaMikdash. And over there it says, Shasham Alu Shvatim, that it's talking about going up, the Aliyah Larego, when the Jewish people went up to uh, the three pilgrimage holidays, they went up to Yerushalayim. So it says, Shasham Alu Shvatim, over there the tribes went up, Shifteka, the tribes of God, the tribes of Yudke. So what's the repetition? We know the Shvatim means all the tribes of Israel went up. The answer is, when we go up higher, we have a different name. When it was a deeper, a deeper identity, a higher level of consciousness opens up. When we went, literally, Jews when they lived all over the land of Israel, far away from the temple, they experienced only a more external part of their soul. 
And over there, they can sin, God forbid, because it's depliable. Their connection, they're soft. They can be pushed around a little bit by a wind. It's not firm, rock solid. But when we go up to the base of Migdash, we clamber the tree, we go deeper and deeper, and we get closer to the source. We go into a state of matois, and mate firm, shifteka. We go from regular shvatim to shifteka. We go up from being a shevet to being a mate. And that level is called Eitzachayim, tree of life, because Eitzadas really starts at the junction between Atzilus and Bria Yitzir and Asiya. The three lower worlds, Bria Yitzir and Asiya, are called are influenced by Eitzadas Tovera. That's why. In these three worlds, there is bechira. There is choice between good and bad. There is a concept of toiv and ra. Klipas noga exists in these three worlds, primarily in asiya, in the physical, material world. But even in the spiritual world, there is some concept of evil already, because it's under the influence of eitzadas. Now, eitzadas is malchus. The shechina is called eitzadas. She herself is infinite, is one thousand percent, one hundred percent good. There's not a trace of negativity. But because she allows for, she creates worlds that are separated. And in the world of separation, there is toiv and ra. There could be a possible choice. Meaning, connecting to God is optional. There is some level of optional. And, and there is a possibility for something that's not holy. And that's, and when, when are we in that state, we the Jewish people, even though we're godly souls, when we pass through Malchus, we pass through Shechina, we, we know all souls become impregnated in Shechina, and then we're born down into Bria Yatsir and Asiya. then we're called Shvatim, and then, we're, then uh, it's possible to make a mistake. Our connection is not so firm and so strong. But when we're still in Atzilus, then we're connected to the Eitzachayim, tree of life, which generally in many places it's explained, it's the level of Ze'er Anpin, it's called Eitzachayim, and over there, there is no, there's no das tovera. It's kulo tov and only good. And on three times a year, we would rise into that consciousness as we go into atzilus. So, in our voda, what does that mean? Going back to what we said before, as long as we're operating from our human mind, from our experiences of seichel intellect, means our existence, oires pekelim, lights and vessels, as we find ourselves in our world, as a creature created by God in this world, as a creature we have some kind of sense of independence and we choose to connect to God through our appreciation of Him, through our das, that's Eitzah Das. Eitzah then means when we connect to our levels of soul that never went down, they're still mate, they're still attached, it's Eitzah which in general it's our koiches makith and our encompassing powers. So that again shows you from every direction that Samach Tzedek is showing you, how mate is, 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 whether mate means firm and strong, that was the previous explanation. Whether mate means tilting, just the beginning of a mate, and therefore it's firm and strong and unbendable. And it's connected to, and it's also mate is also with tree, because it's connected to Eitzachayim. This connection to Eitzachayim, again, Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who lifts us up there. The tzaddik is the one who, who activates that element of our soul. We find that the, the Shvatim needed Yosef, who was considered the tzaddik amongst them, to lift them up. That's why when they're sheaves, Yosef is the only sheave that stands, 
and theirs bow down to him because they need him to elevate them from Shvatim to Shifteka to a higher level into Atsilos. Because Yosef, he says, never is a Neshama that's in Atsilos as opposed to the other tribes who go down. So similar to Yosef is the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu as well and higher. So now he explains It's a hamshacha. Mate means to draw, but on a level of etzchayim. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu is the one that holds a mate. He holds a firm stick. Because he's the one that activates within the Jewish people the matos. In other words, until Moshe Rabbeinu came around, the shvatim are shvatim. They're not matos. Moshe, by him holding a staff, what he does. Now, over there in that Maimer of Atam Hanemis Matri, he explains that even the Pneumius Anishama, even the Kleches Makifim of the Nishama, even the firm, could even rise even to a higher place. And that's the idea of Haremis Matra, that by Kriyas Yamsuf we had to even pick our, Moshe picked up his Matta to an even deeper, higher place in order to cause Kriyas Yamsuf. But that's not the Nakuda that's Nogeya, I think, to this Maimer. What's Nogeya to this Maimer is his explanation that he explains it's an Ora Torah and Haremes Matcha, the concept of Mata itself, how sublime Mata is even before Moshe picks it up to a higher level. Look in, in Rabbis, in Medrash Rabbah Vayeshev, Parsha Pehe, Gabo Matcha. There it's talking about Yehuda and Tamar, and which Tamar, before Yehuda knows who Tamar is, she's. Um, She's, uh, before Yehuda even knows who Tamar is, she's negotiating with him. She's asking him to pay for payment. And he says to her, uh, uh, you know, I'll give you, send you two goats. And she says, give me, uh, give me something, security. So he, and he says, what should I give you? And she says, give me your, one of, you, one of the things she asked was, she said, give me your staff. So uh, the Medrash says a fascinating thing, that what she was referring to, she, give, she says, give me Mashiach. I want a mother Mashiach. Matcha is referring to Mash- Matecha as Mashiach. Because it says by Mashiach that he, just like Moshe had a staff, Mashiach is going to have a staff. The Pasuk says, Mate uzcha yishlach Hashem. The staff of power God will send. Redei bekerevevecha, in which Mashiach is going to dominate amongst the enemies. So, what exactly you see over here from that, I don't, other than the fact that the mate is very high, but why, what he wants to bring out with Mashiach having the mate, that it says mate, because other than that, I don't see anything else that it says about mate. Uh, but it's just that it's very, very sublime, the matecha. Mashiach, maybe, maybe it's because Mashiach will reconnect us to the Eitzachayim, to the tree of life. As we know, Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, there won't be any more death in the world. So maybe that's the idea. I'm not exactly sure with what he wanted Dafka with that Medrash. Look in what is explained and what I just explained earlier, the difference between Shvatim Shifteka, two levels of tribes, which one is Shvatim and the higher level Shifteka is in general the same idea as Mate. Look in the Mimer, which is the first Mimer on Lakutei Torah. Um, and over there, he explains this idea of Shvatim and Shifteikon, the deeper connection of Shifteikon. Look in the Zohar. So I looked up the Zohar. Here, um, here it says, Kuf Samach Beis Ahmed Aleph. 
So um, it's hard to pinpoint what he wants from that Zohar. I, I do saw what I, what I think he means. Again, I think is that the Zohar over there is explaining how by Yaakov Avinu, when Yaakov Avinu took, it says when he was at Lavan's house, and he took a, a staff and he peeled it in various different places. He made stripes of it and then he used it to uh, place it in front of the sheep so that when they will reproduce, they will reproduce speckled and, and spotted and all the things that he did. So it was some kind of a, a spiritual uh, godly manipulation that he was doing over there. So then Yaakov became very wealthy from that. And we know that Yaakov was building the entire realms of holiness. But the Zohar says that when he took the makl, the lotion of the Zohar over there is that that when that Achinami Yaakov bidet Achzante Yaakov chose his portion his lot va'adve lechulkei v'salik le'elam mikol dargin he went up to a very high place to a place above all levels and he took the makel the makels from a very high place v'natale la'adve and he took it to his chelik makel livne lach it's a level of whiteness, the star Yamin of the right side, Veluz Va'arman is red, he took other staffs, which is the red, the star Smola, but I think it means a place where, where Yamin and Smola are connected. Again, I'm not exactly sure, but I think what he wants is just this Nakuda, that the Makal is a very high level. Um, he probably wants more than that, but that's as much as I was able to take out of it. Um, the only problem is that that's not in Kuf Samach Beis Ahmed Aleph, that's in Kuf Samach Aleph Ahmed Beis. And then he, the conclusion of it is in Davkuf Samach Beis Amid Aleph, Kula Almen Latata, and from that comes blessings down all the worlds below. And Yaakov took his blessings from those, from his portion from that level. That's the best I was able to extract from here. Um, look at Medrash Rabbah. So I looked up this Medrash Rabbah when Yaakov says, with my staff, I crossed the Jordan. So the Medrash says, we, we see from three places that the Jews crossed the Jordan in the merit of Yaakov. That through the merit of Yaakov, the Jewish people crossed the Jordan. And one of the places is, because it says, Kibamakli avarti, with my staff, I crossed. And Yaakov is saying, so this is referring to later that the Jewish people crossed with the staff with the staff of Yaakov. So what does this mean? What does he want from it? Uh, you know, when we say the Jewish people are, I think, again, possible, the Jewish people crossing the Jordan, and it says Yaakov Makli, Yaakov is crossing the Jordan, Bimakli, is, is, and through that he's, 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 he's bringing the Jewish people across the Jordan, the Jewish people crossing the Jew Jordan and going into Eretz Yisrael is an elevation to the Jewish souls. And how they be, and, and this elevation is happening through the makel, which is indicating the same idea that makel is the idea, makel is the same idea as matos, firm heart, which is an elevation, that matos is a very, is an elevation of the soul. Maybe the makli itself, the growing of the yardin, crossing the yardin means to go past the various different uh, borders and rise up into the level of makel and mate. Could be, again. Look, the Tzemach Tzedek says, look at the beer, which is in the Pasuk, so I looked this up. It's in the beer. There's a mimer of the Alter Rebbe called Ali Be'er Enula. 
when the Jewish people sang a song of two, a few weeks ago, Parshas Chukas, about the Be'er, and it says in the end, that this Be'er, this uh, um, um, wellspring that came along with the Jewish people in the Midbar, was, 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 was carved out by Moshe and Aaron, and they did it through their staffs, with their staffs. So there he explains the quality of the staff. And he says the staff is very powerful. Mishanoisam is very powerful. We find by Elisha that Elisha made made the resurrection with a, with, a, with with a staff. He resurrected when he when he when he he wanted to. He didn't in the end he didn't. But that was the intention. When the Shunamis came running to him crying that uh, her child died, I think it was the Shunamis. Maybe the Shunamis is the first story, and this is the other woman. The woman who lost her child, he blessed her, and then she lost her child, and then she came running to Elisha, and Elisha sent Gehazi, his servant, and he said, take the staff and put it on the child. And it would have worked, but Gehazi messed up, because he told him not to, not to answer anybody, and Gehazi did. And because of that, he, he, he ruined that, uh, that thing. But whatever it was, the staff could have made So you see, the staff's very powerful. So in that mimer, the Alter Rebbe explains as follows. In the, in the, in the, what, what's the secret of the, uh, oh, so he explains like this. Mamish adds, Mamish this idea. He explains that the beginning of the Pasuk over there, Ali Be'er is talking about, Be'er is referring to this, the spring is referring, referring to the Jewish people. They're called the spring of water. And Ali Be'er, in the Neshamis, Ali Be'er means rise Be'er, is the rising of Jewish souls. Our souls rising very, very, very high into a very, very deep connection to God. And he says that rising has to do with the fact that only Neshamis are called Mahalchim, souls are called walkers. Uh, um, angels, they're called stationary beings because the, the, the angels have a ceiling where they cap out. It's as far as they can go. They can't break out. They can't break out of the system. They can't free themselves. They can go up higher within the system. They can stimulate incredible energies from the very, 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 very high levels of the system, but they always remain capped in the system. And only Jewish souls are able to break free completely, liberate themselves totally from the system and reach the, the, the Ein Sof. And that's why Neshamas are called Mahalchim. They're called walkers and goers because they can move. Through what? Through what we, what we explained earlier is the love of B'chom Odcha, this Reusa Daliba, this transcendental love, the fire, the madness of the soul that liberates the soul and takes the Neshama into the Orin Sof. That's why we, that's called walking. But he says, there is, there is walking, and then there is a walking stick. A walking stick hakes you walk. You go out, I, as you can see, I like hiking a lot. I do a lot of outside walking. Um, and I actually just got myself a, a pair of hiking sticks because my knees are really, really hurting me. And the hiking sticks help a lot. So a, sta a staff, you know, a stick, you're walking. A stick helps to walk. People walk a long distance. With a stick, you can walk. So he explains, what does it mean, the stick? So he explains it in spirituality. It's the same idea we learned earlier. We learned earlier, how do you activate this, the makifim the, the, the element of Yineshama? How do you activate this Ein Sof energy? How do you stimulate the fire of the soul that's madness? 
how do you set yourself off on this infinite journey? You first have to upload a spark. You first have to upload a spark. The sparks of Tohu, they're the ones that register into this infinite light and they then serve as the igniter of the soul that can ignite the infinite. And he says, that's the idea of a staff. Because the staff, he says, is referring to, staff is what you lean on. So it's connected to the Zvulin part of the Jewish people. They're called Tamchen. We learned about it in the Mimer in the, two, in the two classes ago. Not last class, but two classes ago. Class number two. We learned that Zvulin is stronger than Yisachar, even though Yisachar is the ones who study Torah. And the Zvulin are the merchants. But they're the Torah supporters, and they're called Tamchen Dairaisa. So they are like the staff. And why are they called the support? Simply they support because they give money so the people of Yisachar can learn. But it's really much deeper than that. They give the unique soul energies to the Yisachar Jews because the Yisachar Jews don't deal with the raw energies. They don't access the sparks of toe so much because they're not dealing with the materials of the world. But the, 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 the Jews who go out and work every day, the business people, they're the ones who come into contact and they give tzedakah. So they liberate these sparks and they pass it on to the, to the, to the, to the rabbis to the clergy people, they give it to the, to, the, to the priests, they give it to the learners, to the scholars. They empower their souls that they too can walk. And that's, they're called the, the staff. Mishanoisa. So what do you see from, and that's why he says, Gechazi um, um, took his staff. Because in order to do to resurrect the dead, the dead you can only resurrect, resurrect the dead from an infinite power of life. Where life is limited, death can take effect. We know that death can take effect under the Eitz Hadas. Where did death come from? Eitz Hadas. Tovara. Because from the world of limitation, from the world of, of, of limited service, if you spoke earlier, Eitz Hadas service means serving God with the limitations of one's own perception, understanding, comprehension. So from that level, you can be inspired, but just like your inspiration and your dedication to God dies out, so that can cause that one's attachment to God dies out, and that, that leads to spiritual death, which, which, which translates into physical death. So as long as our, and, the, and that's the system today, and that's why people die. But we know when Mashiach comes, we're gonna live forever because we're gonna serve God with limitless connection. So we're gonna access then the limitlessness of the divine. The Soviet Kalalman, the encompassing energy is gonna be revealed. And when that happens, then even dead things come alive. There's no death anymore. So in order to bring about the, the, the resurrection of this baby, Elisha needed to activate Soviet Kalalman. So he, see, what did he use? He didn't send along Gechazi, a scholar. He gave him, his, he gave him a staff, because the staff is the walking stick that's what enables us to walk, which walking means to transcend, to leave where we are, to move to a completely different place, to touch the infinite, and from there draw down the energy to resurrect the child. But what do you see, just bottom line from all of this, that the staff represents the, the power, the connection to the Soviv Kalam, the, the transcendental powers of the Ein Sof. And that's conveyed in the hardness and the stiffness and the strength of the staff. So this all supports this idea that we're learning about now. And who active, who reveals it? That's Moshe Rabbeinu going back. And another source he gives. Another 
look in the Maim of B'Shiver Rulchem Parshas B'Chu Kaisai. So Parshas B'Chu Kaisai in the Maim of B'Shiver Rulchem Atalechem, he also makes reference over there. There it's talking about one of the, what seems to be a terrible curse. It's, it's among, amongst the Teichacha, amongst the rebuke. And it says over there that um, Hashem says that you're going to be, the, during the time of the, of the, when bad days will come, when the darkness will come, the time of exile, and we know this happened during the time of the destruction of the base of Migdash, there will be such hunger and a famine because of the siege that they will lay upon the city that uh, you won't have any bread. So 10 women together will gather and they will, they will bake their breads all in one oven. Usually, a, usually um, you know, a, a one woman baking bread for a family fills a whole oven. Here, they're hardly going to have. So in order, and you're only going to have so little wood. So the time you're going to you're gonna, you'll be able to, 10 women together are going to have that little dough to, to bake the bread. And there it says also, that's what it means, b'shiv l'chem mata l'chem, when I'm going to break your bread support, you're going to be so poor. Ba'afu eser noshim, 10 women together are going to bake b'tan rechad in, in, in one oven. Um, but then, and even then, v'shiv l'chem b'mishka, you're going to have to put your bread on a scale. You're going to have to put your bread on a scale. Why? Because the bread, the, the wheat, is, the, the, the grains are going to be such bad quality. The flour is going to be such bad quality. So when you bake the breads, the, the breads are just going to fall into pieces. So then they, what they, in order for them to distribute and divide these, these breads, which didn't even come out normally, they're going to have to take it all and put them on a scale and then based on that, give everybody a few ounces or whatever. So it seems like a terrible curse. The Alter Rebbe reveals the blessing behind it. He's revealing the spiritual meaning of it. It's a fascinating discourse. We learned it and I gave a Monday night class on it as well. We explains that this is not a curse at all. It's talking about when God says, "When I have broke lechem is the Torah." He says, "When I have broke, when I break the Torah." That's referring to when the when the when the luchos when the when the tablets were shattered and broken. So then the Torah is going to fall into then then, which means which as he explains over there is two levels of Torah: the first tablets and the second tablets. If we would have received the first tablets, we would have had a far more spiritual Torah. Torah would not be talking so much about the material, physical world. The Torah, we would have received the Torah in its spiritual, godly form. And he says, but, and, and, and that level is called the Eitzachayim, tree of life. But because, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. So God broke mate lechem. Lechem is Torah. Mate is staff, but the staff is talking about the Eitzachayim, tree of life, not Eitzadas. Eitzadas is the tree of godliness. It's also branch, but it's not mate. It's not the beginning of its, of its extension. It's shevet. It's farther away. So the Torah lowers itself down. We receive a, 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 a lesser version of the Torah, where the Torah is broken. Therefore, it, is, it, is, comes to us already embedded, invested in material, physical subjects. And as a result of that, if you learn the Torah just as it is, you can learn it and not see the godliness of it. You can just take the shell and not the, not the fruit, not the inner of it. So therefore, the Alter Rebbe says, the Torah is giving you guidance. What should you do? You have to bake the bread, this broken bread, in order to benefit, to extract its godliness. 
And how do you bake it? You have to gather all ten, ten women. These are the ten powers of your soul. And you meditate and you bake it in one oven. The Alter Rebbe translates as the, the oven of oneness. You meditate on the oneness of God. And that creates a fire in your soul. And that will break the bread. I'm sorry, bake the bread. And when the bread will be baked, then when you learn Torah then, you're going to put the bread on a scale. And when you put the bread on the scale, what happens when you put something on a scale? You put the weights on the other side, and it lifts the scale up. The Torah is going to be lifted back up to its godly state. And when the Torah is lifted up to its godly state, it'll give you all the spiritual benefits. In other words, had the luchas not been broken, we wouldn't. Then everybody would learn Torah. They would see God in the Torah. They would feel the godliness. Now it's possible to person to bolster their ego through Torah study. Because a person is possible to learn Torah and see just the, 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 the logic, the human logic in it, and not feel the godly light in the Torah. And therefore we have to make an effort. We have to take all the ten women, that's the ten powers of our soul, because the soul is female, and turn on the oven of oneness, put the bread in it, and as a result of that, re-lift the Torah back to its source, and then the Torah, <laughs> only the Alter Rebbe can give us such an incredible makeover, because <laughs> the Alter Rebbe himself lifted the Torah up to its source, and he can see the Torah in its Eitzachayim version, and it's not a curse, and it's only a remedy, and it's only light, and it's only blessing. But what do you see from there? That the word mate is referring to the Torah as it is an Eitzachayim state. That's what he's proving from here. Before it fall, before it, before it collapsed. So the concept of mate is, so when it says, it's talking about a very sublime level of soul, a very high level of neshama, which in general, again, is associated with ourselves before we go down and become part of the world. We're above the world, the part of the neshama that's higher. Gamate, and now the Tzemach Tzedek, so we have three interpretations of Mate. Reusa Daliba, yearning of the madness of the soul. Eitan, strong, firm, stubbornness. Eitzachayim, tree of life. And now the fourth explanation, Gamate, Loshen Memshala. Dominion, Shrada, and, uh, and ministering. Mate Uzcha, like it says, we brought the Pasik by Mashiach, the strength which I think means when this level of soul is revealed in us, we're a minister over all challenges. We're above it all. We have control. There's no, nothing can even confront us. You're ministering over Elohim. So the lower part of the neshama, you're still under the, 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 the influence of Elohim. And there's a fight. But when you're above it, you're above it. Okay. Again, same idea. The higher levels of the neshama. So from all of this, we can understand. Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who conducts. Vayadaber means he leads. He opens us up. Moshe is the one that brings and reveals this, this level of soul connection, this deep attachment. Okay, till here, I think, or maybe to the last line, is the, but again, it's my own thought, but it's almost positive. This is all the additions of the Tzemach Tzedek. And Luchura, it should have had a parenthesis. That's what I would think. But it's not here, Bapoyal in the Lakuti Torah. And now he continues on the main part of the Maimon. Now, 
where the Alter Rebbe says, so again, all these interpretations we spoke about today, it's all nuances in the same idea. That, again, the, the whole theme of the Mimer was, the human being is a being of Tikkun, which means we exist with, on the one hand with a great advantage over all the rest of the creation is that we have a higher, uninterrupted, godly consciousness. We're from the world of repair. We're from the world of rectification. We're not, our essence is not shattered and broken. At our core, we have a connection to God, essential. And we have, therefore, an, an ability. But, on the other hand, we're weaker than all of creation because we're within the system of tikkun, and that's already mitigated and, and, and filtered and limited and, 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 and far diminished energies as opposed to the toe elements, which are very, very powerful. And by lifting up the sparks of toe, engaging with all the other lower things in this world, we elevate these sparks up and then we, we gain, we bring even to the divine manifestation called the supernal man above, we bring him food and we eat that food and it strengthens us and really picks, raises up the soul to the transcendental powers of the soul through Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the idea of Ayadabir Moshe. And why is this, why are we talking of suddenly, why is this all such a subject of our interaction with the world? Because again, we're gonna, this mimer is talking about vows. And a vow means an abstinence of, of interaction with even what is permissible. So first we have to understand why it's important not to abstain from the permissible things in life, because it's only through our being consumers of the physical material world that we can access these great riches we can access the powerful powers of Samach Gimel. So we really need it. But again, he just gave you the, 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 the technical element of how it all works. Once we elevate sparks, and through Moshe Rabbeinu, we, 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 we connect to the Mata element, which is the firmness that's above the regular self of Tikkun. It's related to, our, to already activating the toe as, as it influences us. Now the Pasuk says, what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? What does Moshe say? What does he say to them? This is, the, this is the matter that God commanded. So the Alter Rebbe interprets an amazing shot. He says like this, as long as we are living in the system, as long as we are out, we're inspired not by through Moshe Rabbeinu, we're not connected to the Moshe, we're trying to, we, we feel that we can be a good Jew without a Rebbe, without Moshe, without the input of this powerful um, 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 energy that, that lifts us in tr into transcendence. As long as we're operating, a good Jew, but everything is, you know. So then, the Rebbe says, you're living in time and space. You're part of the system. You're living in time and space. And when you're living in time and space, then the Torah that you're studying is an old Torah. What do you mean it's an old Torah? It's an ancient Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu, who said the Torah, receiving it from God, said those words three and a half thousand years ago. To be more accurate, love saying it this year, three, 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 three. That's how long ago Moshe Rabbeinu said these words. Very, very powerful. You're repeating. Okay, we're quoting. We're quoting statements and teachings that were said 3,300. They're still potent, they're still powerful because Moshe said them. But it's not Moshe's words, it's your words. You're quoting what you heard from him, or heard from him, and heard from, or you're quoting it straight from the Chumash, but whatever. What, whatever it is, it's, 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 it's a long time has passed. 
because you're living in time and space. But the Alter Rebbe says, what Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching you over here is if you're plugging into Moshe and you're allowing Moshe Rabbeinu therefore to open you up to the transcendental part, to your tree of life element, to your etan of your neshama, to the re'usa deliba, to the yearning of the soul, that's beyond time and space. There is no time there. And since there is no time there, Moshe Rabbeinu is now speaking these words, and when you're speaking, you are speaking Moshe's words. It's not, you're not repeating, you're not quoting. Zehadavar, because you're outside of time. So Moshe is now, you're standing, Moshe is alive. He's, this is higher than the whole system, this is divine, and therefore it's beyond time and space. So, so the Pasuk says, so that what's the benefit of that we can say the actual word that Moshe is saying we can say that means this is it we are actually saying the, the literal words that Moshe speaks you and Moses' words are the same words you're not speaking an old and imagine the potency of such Torah imagine the influence we have in other people when we're speaking and we're channeling, we're not saying our own words. It's Moshe's words. We're saying, if this is similar to what it says, the idea that that we're speaking the words that God spoke to Moshe or the words that Moshe is saying, it's similar to what it, the same thing God is asking us in Shema. We say, over there too it says, you should love God your God with all your heart, all your all your soul, and all your might. Now, what did we explain earlier? What does it mean, all your might? All your might means get past your mind, get past your limited your connection to God based on our on, on your own limitations and our own narrowness. Open up your neshama to the deepest, infinite. Uh, 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 transcendental become you know open up to the madness of your soul to the to the to the to the of our soul and then what does it say after that right after that you should study Torah and it will be these words that I am commanding you Hayom today number one it's today God is speaking today secondly these words that God is saying, you should speak, not just you should quote, you should study Torah all the time. Speak these literal words. Your word should be the words that I am saying today. You're speaking God's words. Your words are as potent as, as, as at Sinai. Sometimes you hear it, Sadiq, saying words of davening or Torah. And just those words just rip through all the barriers. You can, it's electrifying. It's so powerful. Why? Because his words are not their words. Why? Because they're beyond time and space. What takes you beyond time and space? Only because if you would only have loved God with all your heart and with all your, all your soul, that means we would be operating from within time and space. We're operating from within the system because human intelligence is part of the system. So if our inspiration is from human intelligence, it's all part of the system and therefore it's not, we're not, we're not transcending, we're not outside the system, we're within the system. 
But since, but if you should speak in them, speak what Moshe himself says. What Moshe said 3,000 years ago, you should say those very words. Literally them. How can you say those words? Only through the yearning of a heart. Because then you're outside of time and space. Like it says in the Pasuk, Dvaray Asha Samti Bipicha, my words that I'm putting in your mouth. Well, the other Nevi'im, and that's why Moshe is unique, he says, Zadavar, because Moshe is outside of time and space. That's why Moshe says, This is the word. The other Nevi'im say, Ko Amar Hashem, so said God. So means, he said something like it, which means I'm quoting, I'm saying it's not his words exactly. It says, let's create man in our form, in our image. In our form is literally our form. Kidmuseinu is already a copy. So the, the other prophets are like a copy. It's not, it's not the real, it's not the, the original. Only Moshe is the original. But he's explaining how Moshe can open that up in our soul. Okay. Now that we understand that, so what does we'll have to do with vows? So we're going to learn now the last, the last piece, Siv Dalet. So now that we understand the importance of, of, the, of, the, of the powers of Tohu, the powers of the infinite, which we, again, connect as a result of our uploading a spark of holiness. And then Moshe has something he can work with, with us. Then he can channel to us these potent energies of Tohu. So the Pasuk now continues, and it says, Ishki when a man will, will make a vow. So here's the thing. Why would someone take a vow? Now, what does a vow mean? A vow means abstaining from things that are kosher. Things that are not kosher, you're not allowed to eat anyways. You don't need a vow for that. Torah doesn't let. A vow was usually taken. Someone who had a hard time with some kind of an overly attachment to things. Someone, it can be many reasons. Person feels that they're addicted, they're experiencing a food addiction. That would be the classic example. Uh, just like, and like a person has a smoking addiction or a drinking addiction. They're an alcoholic and they have to, so they feel that it's, it's ruining them. That's on the most, on the, on, the, on the most simplest of levels. But it could be on a, on a level where a person is way beyond that. They have control, they're not. But in general, they feel they're too materialistic. Not that they are like, they're, 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 they're super gluttonous and super animalistic and they can't control themselves at all and therefore they need a vow. But even if they're on a higher level, and they don't, they, they, they do have, but um, they feel that their involvement with the material is too much and it's impacting their spiritual lives. Words, they're becoming desensitized to spirituality because of the over over physical stimulation, which has impact because our 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 the physical is dangerous. That's the you have to understand that it's dangerous in the sense that, as we spoke earlier, it's toxic waste with an enormous potential spark, but it's toxic waste. And as we engage in it, it blurs our soul. It covers. It obscures. And that's why the, a person is very very likely if they indulge and they don't make a bracha properly and don't really 
you know, in the, and, and don't, are not really careful. That as a result of overindulgence, we become coarse and we can, God forbid, it leads a person to sin. We have a many, many, many. So that's another level. A person will take a vow to disconnect. Now a third level. Even higher than that. No. It's not the food, the material things are not corrupting me yet. No. But I don't feel that I have the power to elevate. And if I'm not going to elevate the spark, then I might as well leave it, leave it as it is. Because if I don't elevate, I sometimes can downgrade. Sparks of holiness are waiting. They're waiting to be elevated. <laughs> it's an amazing story I heard last week from the Holy Ruziner. The Holy Ruziner traveled to a city and uh, came to an inn. Suddenly came, he used to travel a lot, and he came to a town. And he, the Rebbe came, whatever, the person was very excited. So the, 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 the Ruziner said to him, come with me to the window. And they were looking outside the window. And the Ruziner was asking him about everybody that's passing. Who is this? Who is this? Who is that? Suddenly a person went by drinking beer. The guy was without a kippah. You can see he's Jewish, without a kippah, and he's drinking beer. A bottle of beer. So the Ruziner asked him, who's this? So he told him, oh, it's very sad. This person's father was a special man, a good man, a very, very, very you know, dedicated to, you know, God-fearing man, a good Jew. And sadly, his son just... You know, didn't do well. And went off the path. And he's not too religious, as you can see. He's not too observant. He walks without the kippah and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. So the Ruzhina had this guy called, be called in front of him. And he told him a story. He said there was once a person who passed away. He tells this guy without the kippah. He says there was once a person who passed away. And when he came up to the other, other world, he, um, they judged him. And turns out that he was half and half. He was meaning, it turns out very rarely that someone should come out exactly half, half virtuous and half sinful. But if, since he was exactly half, they, they had to decide what are they going to do with this person. So they gave him two options. One is that he can go into Gehenna, he can go to purgatory and clean up a little bit of the sins and then his virtues are going to be more than his sins and then he can, you know, or he can be reincarnated. And the person knew that reincarnation is not it's too dangerous. It's very, very dangerous to be reincarnated coming out into this world. I don't know if reincarnated in, in thing, but it's, it's very, very painful. No. He says, I, he'll go, he'll, he took option A. We'll go to purgatory. We'll, be, you know, we'll, we'll go through it quickly and then done. Okay. So the way the story, I heard the story told is that the angels are taking him. And as he's walking towards there, you know, he has an escort. These guys are the, they're called Malachi Chabala. These are not the, these are not the angels that you want to hang out with. <laughs> and they're escorting him. And it feels like days and weeks and months. It feels like forever. They're walking and they're walking and they're walking. And as they're getting, you know, further and further, it's getting warm. It's getting warm. It's getting, and then it starts getting hot. It's getting like unbearably hot. And he's sure, okay, so it must be that we're already in the vicinity of purgatory because it's so hot. It's like unbearable hot. So he stops and he asks the angels if we're already, we must be there. We're walking already for a year or two. You know, we're already. 
And the angels laugh and they say, not even close. We're like, way, we're so far, we're not even close. They laugh at him, how he thinks they're close. Okay, so they continue. At this point, they move forward. And again, it feels like forever. It's getting so hot that he feels like his hair is falling off his body, whatever. Obviously, a soul is different than body, but it's like, it, 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 it's not, he, so he's sure we're right at the entry. They laugh, they said, we're not even halfway there. So when he realized what's going on, he said to the angels, excuse me, he says, I, I, I think, can we still do option B? So they sat on a bench and the other angel went back. Okay, obviously, you know, what is it? Or maybe they radioed in and they told him, uh, yeah, they can bring him back. Anyways, they brought him back and they sent him down, option B. So he was incarnated in a field of, in, 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 in a barley, in a, in a, in, a, in a grain of barley. And he says he's out there and he's whatever and the sun and this and that and he's suffering and it's, and they're cutting barley. And when they cut the barley, so many of the grains go under the, under the, under the, 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 the people that are cutting, they're not with the machine. Some of it gets picked up, others get just trampled by the feet. But it's finally like, and he's watching and he sees there's a lot of souls. Now, he's not the only soul there. And he's waiting and waiting. Hopefully, they're going to pick him up so they can do something with this barley. And he watches different souls get flung around and not being picked up. And he's lucky. So he gets in. And he's now in the barley. And then they took the barley. And in the wagon, some of it falls out. And he's like, his neighbor's been falling out, this barley. But he's holding on for dear life, hoping, hoping. You know. Finally, he comes to the maze place. And they start grinding it. And so many, so many of the things get, anyways, He's lucky, he ends up being the barley that gets mixed and becomes, and he ends up in the bottle, in a, a, a vat of beer. Oh, he's already closer to something. And then the vats get sold, I think. Someone came to buy like a lot of beer for his, and it's a non, it's a Gentile. And now he's terrified because all this he's been through, been through the barley, he's been through, been through. And he ends up in this non-Jewish tavern. And it's full of Gentiles that are coming drinking over there. And now what is he going to be eating? He's going to be. And he gets put on and he goes into a bottle. The guy fills the bottles of beer. And he puts them on the shelf. And people coming one after another. And they're buying and they're drinking beer. And they're, you know, they're, they're drunkard. And they're shouting and vulgar. And then he realizes, oh my God, there's no tikkun over here. He's not only going to be dragged down even lower than he was before. Suddenly, there is one Jew. There's two more bottles left. That's what is two more bottles left. And a Jew walks in. And the Jew walks in and he asks the guy who wants to buy a bottle of beer. And the guy says, I don't have much left. There's two bottles over there. And he's and he's looking Jew. Ah, Jew walked in. And there's two bottles. There's two bottles. Which one take? And bingo! The guy picked up the bottle with this barley, with this neshama. Oh my, he's celebrating. He's like, wow, he ended up, how lucky, couldn't believe every, every other bottle went to a Gentile and only he went to a Jew. And he's waiting, the Jew will make a blessing and so on and so forth. And the Holy Virgin turns to him and he says, well, you just drank your father's, you just drank your father without, without the, without making a blessing. 
without a yarmulke on your head. I hope he had still a tiny little bit of beer left over when he told him that. Bottom line story is that when we see physical things, there's a lot going on there. We don't know the stories of everything. But we have to have a sense of awe before we touch something. We have to be able to elevate. Now what happens when someone makes a vow is that the person realizes that maybe I'm not on a level that I can elevate. And if I don't eat it the right way or use the energy the right, I'll only drag it down. And as a result of that, the person wants to abstain. But if you abstain from things, you're never going to gain the gain of tohu. And you're also not going to elevate the spark, which is the greatest thing that we can do for this world, the purpose of... So the Altareb is going to explain over here that making a vow, making a vow, is not just to abstain from something, but through a vow, you actually can also elevate the spark to, to the making of the vow itself is actually lifting the spark up to its source. Even, even when you're not consuming it. So again, the best way to elevate something is to, make a, to take it, to make a blessing and be a mensch yourself. Because a human, in order to elevate something, you have to be human. Again, we said earlier, the power to elevate is from the world of tikkun. A human is tikkun, is connected. You have connected consciousness. But you have to eat the object, the, the food, from a space of purposefulness. If you're engaging the food as an animal and not as a human, in other words, you're activating within yourself your animalistic self. That's what you're excited about the food. There's no purposefulness in, in the approach that one has to the food. When we're doing that, then we're like a cow eating, like the famous story of the Bolshemtov that the Bolshemtov once showed his students an amusing sight. He showed them on Shabbos that there was a group of, uh, there was someone, <laughs> he, showed, he showed them on Shabbos, Moshanta was able to give a vision to them. He would put his hands on their shoulders and they would suddenly see what he sees. And the Bolshemtov shows them something that was, that was like very funny. They watching an ox, literally a cow, and he's wearing the strimal. And, he's, and they can't figure this out. What's, <laughs> what's an ox doing with a, with a strimal? And the Bolshemtov explained. Maybe the Bolshemtov rewind the video and let them see the story. What they saw was a person sitting down, a guy, he was a rabbi, and he sat down with his, he's wearing a, you know, a kapata, a bekesha, whatever it was, and a strimal. He was a, he was a nice fellow, Jews, obviously an important. And he sits down with a plate of chalant, and he's got meat in there. And he's so excited about the food, about the food, that, that he's eating it with such. And as he's reaching for the meat, and he starts eating the meat, remember the Balshemtiv teaches that wherever your thought is, that's where you're at. That's who you are, what you are. So at that moment, he became so connected to the meat that he's identifying with the cow that he himself is a cow. So the Balshemtiv says, what you're seeing is this guy, the cow is not wearing a strimal. <laughs> this rabbi is wearing the strimal. But he has now become a cow. But his strimal doesn't change. So the strimal remains a strimal. And he says, look how funny it looks. A cow with a strimal. So here's the thing. If when we're eating meat or drinking wine or whatever it is, or drinking beer, we're gluttonous, we're popping the beer bottle and drinking it like that, like generally Jews shouldn't do that, should always pour it into a cup. 
but we're 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 we're, we're behaving like a like a more like an animal, and that's how we eat it. We're not elevating anything. How can you test it? <laughs> how do you know if you look like a human and you look like an animal? I'm not recommending this, but if you climb over the cage in the polar bear uh, section or in the lion uh, den, and the lions don't bother you in the zoo, then you know you look like a human. Because animals are surrendered to the human. The human is the king of the, the king of the jungle, the king of the world. But as long as the human looks like human. Tzaddikim were not touched by, like Daniel we know, in the, in the lion's den, and other tzaddikim, the Arachayim HaKadosh, there's a story, and others. They couldn't be hurt by animals, because animals saw in them that they're human. But when we don't look like human, then we can't elevate. Oh, but what do we do? So the best way would be to be able to be a mensch and to be able to elevate. But if we can't, by making and saying a vow, that itself could create the, the, what is needed to lift the spark up and elevate it to toho. How does that work? So the Alter Rebbe reveals a secret about the vow. So first we have to know an interesting halacha about a vow. What's the halacha? It's a halacha regarding, um, it's a halacha regarding a vow. It's a law. When a person says, I'm not going to eat meat, that's not a vow. That's an oath. A vow means the meat is forbidden to me. The meat is forbidden to me. And you know what happens? Something happens to the meat. The meat changes. A person can cause an effect on the meat. The meat changes. It's prohibited. It's like it's, it's like it's holy. Now, it's only forbidden to the person. Another person could eat it. But whatever holiness it is, it is holy to you. You can't eat it. When you're taking a vow, the thing doesn't change when you make a vow. I'm sorry, not a vow. When you're making an oath, the thing doesn't change. The prohibition is on you. You are not allowed to eat that thing. But in a vow, the object is forbidden to you. And that's because you change the spiritual dynamic of that object. You've, sub, you've changed it. And that's why the halacha is that in order to, that a, a vow should work, you have to say that this thing is forbidden to me like something else. Because you want to affect this. This should, be, should become, you compare it to something else, and as a result of that, just like this is prohibited, this is also prohibited. However, there is an important rule that the thing you're comparing it to has to be something that, has, that is made holy by a person, made prohibited by a person. You can't say this should be forbidden to me like lobster. You can't say this should be forbidden to me like ham, like pork or whatever. Because those things are not prohibited by human, by human action, by human speech. Those things are prohibited by God. And therefore, since but the thing that you're prohibiting is not by God, you're prohibiting. So you have to compare it to something that becomes forbidden to the person by human decree. What is that? A sacrifice. An animal is a regular animal. It's a regular ordinary animal. It's a regular sheep. It's amongst your flock of sheep. Or it's a regular goat. Or it's a regular cow. Kosher. No problem. 
If you shecht it, you'll slaughter the property, you'll clean it, you'll get rid of the blood, and do whatever it is. Kosher. You go to this animal and you say, this animal should be consecrated to the temple. The moment you say that, the animal becomes consecrated, becomes holy. You're not allowed to use it for mundane. You can only offer it as a sacrifice. So when you're saying this thing should be forbidden, this piece of cake or this meat should be, this bottle of wine should be forbidden to me, you have to say this should be forbidden like that. They used to have a special wording for it. They would say konem. Konem is like karbon. This is like a karbon, and it becomes prohibited, becomes separated from you. So now the question is, so you're affecting something. So you see that in a vow, there is actually impact on it like a karbon. But how does a carbon work? So the Alter Rebbe is going to say, when we analyze how a carbon works, how a sacrifice works, we can then understand how a vow works. The dynamics of a carbon will apply to a vow. Now you can wonder, so what are the dynamics of a carbon? So we understand the carbon is holy because you put it on the altar, and that makes it holy. Some of them, the whole thing was burnt. Others, just the blood and the fat was burnt. Whatever it is, but it's going up. That's not what makes it holy. That's the ultimate holiness. Actually, if you take an animal and you bring it to the altar and you offer it, you can be. I think it's punishable by, if in purpose, I think it's punishable by death. I brought a carp now. It's called chulin bazara. Chulin bazara means a mundane animal you can't make. The only way you can offer it is by first consecrating it. In other words, you first have to declare it's holy. Who declared? You have to go to a rabbi? You have to go to a, I don't know who? You have to go to the Kohen Gadol? No. Any Jew has the power to say, this is consecrated. And then the bird, whatever, not all animals could become a korban, but whichever animals are eligible for the altar, if you declared it first, then it becomes holy, and then it can be consecrated. What? So what do you see from there? That the real secret of making something from mundane holy is through human declaration. What's the power of a human's mouth? A human's words? And the Rebbe is going to say that's the power of the vow. The human being has an extraordinary power with his words to elevate things and make them holy. And similar to that, when we're making a vow, we're elevating it. The spark is being elevated to its source. We're disconnecting it from the klipas that are infesting it. By declaring it holy, we cause the klipa to let go of it. We allow the object to become holy and connect to its source without eating it, without touching it. That's the chiddush of the house. Now let's understand that a little better. This idea that we go and we consecrate something and we make it holy by our words of our mouth, why does it need two stages? Why can't you just take it initially and bring it to the altar? What, do you, what is affected by your declaration it's holy and what is affected by it being later brought on the altar? And if it's already holy by you declaring it, why do you have to offer it on the altar? You've already elevated it. So you have to say it's two stages of elevation. Stage one, you consecrate it. Stage two, offering it. So what is that? So what's the word we use when we for this idea of consecrating something. It's called making it hegdish. Hegdish means making it holy, or being makadesh something. No, I'm sorry, sanctifying it, making it holy. Where else do we use that term, makadesh? Well, 
today I'm going to a wedding. May this class be as chus for the chasen and the kala. I don't know her name. I know her name is Elsa. I forgot his name. Yaakov? I'm not sure. Any case, may this be as chus for the chasen and the kala. Rivka. Her, her, her Hebrew name is Rivka. I think Rivka, I think his name is Yitzchak, yeah. So I think it's Rivka and Yitzchak. Very special. In any case, um, so a wedding we know is called Mekadesh Ama Yisrael, the Chup of the Kedush. And the act of a, of a man betrothing the woman is called Kedushin. Now, so let's take a look at the wedding. We know there are two stages to a wedding. The first stage of a wedding is called Kedushin. That's the man giving the ring to the woman. They do that on today's day. They used to do it not under the chuppah. Today's days we do it under the chuppah. Stage two is called Nisuyan, fully married. And that involves, of course, the intimacy of a husband and a wife. But first, there has to be Kedushin. What is the idea behind it? So the idea is an amazing thing. Man is mashpia. Man and, and woman is recipient. Woman represents vessels, containers. Man represents energy. Energy on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the outer revealed level, energy is much higher than containers. Man, therefore, is much higher than woman. In order for there to be a bond and a unification between the man and the woman to the point where the two of them are married and they're one, she doesn't have the capacity to be able to bond with such a powerful energy. Just like that. It will overwhelm her. It will completely destroy her spiritually. So it has to be done in increments. And that's the idea of a ring. When the husband and wife stand under the chuppah, when bride and groom stand under the chuppah, when he takes the ring and putting it on her, he's actually bestowing of himself to her. He's channeling to her. He's not just giving a physical ring. The physical ring is an expression. It's a revelation of something very powerful that's being transmitted from him to her. What is he transmitting to her? He's transmitting to her an ormakif, an encompassing light. That means like this. She's not ready to internalize his energy. She's not ready yet. In order to season her, to get ready for his light, he first has to bestow an encompassing energy on her. And when he bestows the this compassing energy of her, that lifts her up to a much higher level. Once she's lifted up to a much higher level, after that they can have the intimacy in which she will draw down to her internalizing energy, in which she will completely become one with him. She will internalize his light. And husband and wife can become one. It must go first in two stages. And what the makif does, the encompassing energy, which is called the kedushin, is it gives her like a, it buzzes her with powerful light that just shakes her up and elevates her. It's an elevator. It elevates the woman to a higher state and then they can move into the next stage. In our relationship with God, we got that buzzer 3,000 years ago by the giving of the Torah. God buzzed us with that light. We haven't reached the intimacy until Mashiach. See how long it's taking? It's taking us 3,000 years to open up to be able to receive the ultimate union with God that happens in the days of Mashiach, the Nesuyan. But with a husband and a wife, within a few hours, they can have the wedding, 
the joy of the wedding. But the main thing is, he gives her the ring. Now, by giving her the ring, he also makes a statement. He says, you are consecrated to me. You are sanctified to me. You are holy to me. He must say it. Without words, it doesn't work. He has to say it with his mouth. Why? Because the or makif comes from the mouth. When he speaks to her, he gives her this encompassing light, giving her the ability to go up. The same is true. Same idea applies also when a human is consecrating and bringing a sacrifice of the animal to God. It, the animal doesn't have that ability for its elevation immediately. So it comes in two stages. First, by the man declaring it holy, he provides the armakif, lifts the animal up from its lowliness, and only afterwards, when he brings it as a carbon, that's by the carbon, then the energy of the animal is going up all the way to the earth and internalizing and getting the panemius and drawing it down. That's the, I just give the introduction of the entire piece. It's going to be very quick now when we read it inside. So in a vow, let's just connect it to a vow, you don't have the second part of the sacrifice itself. You don't have that second part of the union because you're not eating it, you're not connecting to it. But at least you have stage number one in which you're providing the or makif on the food and, or the object, whatever you're taking a vow from, and you're lifting it up to its source. When you're ready to elevate, because you yourself have become fully human and therefore not attached to the material world and therefore you can elevate the material world when you're not part of it, then you can elevate it then you'll be ready for the next stage of actually ending the abstinence and be involved in the physical things. Let's read inside. So the rule, as I told you earlier, that you have to make a neder in something that you have to make a vow with something that is made holy through a vow. You compare it to a sacrifice. How does a sacrifice work by this through this that you make it holy with your mouth? And afterwards, afterwards, when you offer it as a, as a sacrifice, <laughs> what happens is the opposite. You first elevate the animal by consecrating it. And then once the animal is taken to the altar, it does the opposite. It elevates the human. It pulls you up, as we spoke earlier, to the lights of Tohu, to the powerful. And therefore, it enriches a person's service that you can connect to the powerful things that we spoke earlier, that Moshe Rabbeinu channels to your soul, but it has to come only through an upload. And the upload is through the carbon. But, and the energies of Tohu that are now transmitted to the Neshama, like it says, Tamim that the animal, Tamim, is complete, yeah, and it will bring... It will be to favor you in front of God, which means it will bring, connect you to the level of Ratzon, which is Keser, which is infinite. And it also says, their, their, their burnt offerings, and their other offerings, sacrifices, is received by me to my will, which means, again, the transcendental lights of Tohu, on my altar. And then it lifts you up into that place. But why do you have to make a korban? Why do you have to sanction a korban or, or uh, consecrate it first? With your mouth, even though the animal has a higher root than the human, it is rooted in where Hashem's mouth originates. As we spoke earlier, in the mouth of Adam Kadmon, in the very, very high level. Which is the world of Tayu. But because it fell down below in the shattered vessels, it's not capable to lift itself up to its source 
It's only through this that a person who has a godly soul. And the animal is so has such an amazing source, but it's disconnected from it. And it is incapable of reconnecting to its source only through the person. Person is from the world of Tikkun, like we learned earlier. He's from the name of 45, which is Gematria Adam, that purifies, that sorts it all out. And he has to sanctify it first. And as making it holy, you bestow upon it an encompassing light through the mouth. That's the rule that from a person's speech creates or makif. Like it's stated elsewhere in a different mimer on the pasuk, I will give my words into your mouth, yadi, and in the shadow of my hand, kisisicha, I've covered you. So over there, it explains that these are not two separate things, but one thing is derived from the other. I put my words in your mouth. That's that's speech, and from there comes the shadow of my hand, which is the makif. You see from here that from human speech it creates an armakif. It's one of the things that we learn right in the beginning. Excuse me, when we study Hasidus just as an amateur, in the beginning Hasidus, the fifth parak in Tanya, the Alter Deb explains how mitzvahs are, are called garments to the soul and Torah is called food for the soul. But he says Torah is greater than all the mitzvahs because Torah has both benefits. It's also food, internalized energy, and it's also makif, it also is encompassing energy. He explains, the intellectual grasp of Torah is the food, it's the internalization of it, and the words of Torah, speaking it verbally, creates makif energies, creates encompassing energies. So you see from there that from human speech, you create encompassing energies. Look in the Maimer, Misam Pella Adam, which I looked up before, where over there he explains this idea how um, speech create our makif. He goes through a long explanation over there, how Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, that who gave Adam, who gave the power of Atsilus, of the Adam Elion, the supernal man, to be able to speak and to create makifim. I, I don't remember all the details over there, but a very rich idea which he discusses over there. And what does the Ur Makif do? The Ur Makif acts as an elevator. When you bring Makif down on something, it like lifts you up. And what does that mean? So, when you look up that Mimer, Pashas Miketz, Hanukkah Mimer, over there he explains how, same idea that we just mentioned, that Torah is internal energy, mitzvahs are encompassing energy. And he says, encompassing energies, what they do is, even though it's not lasting, but it does give us, initially, I mean, obviously, we're learning over here, the ultimate is to, re- is to, is to connect to the encompassing energies. But we're talking about encompassing energies that doesn't come as the final state of, of achievement. It comes as a preliminary. It's like boosting us with an, with an encompassing energy, a burst of encompassing energy to, to, to trigger a person, to, 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 to fire up the person. So the idea of it is that, he explains over there, is that mitzvahs are encompassing energies. And therefore, when a person is so disconnected and so lost and so not, and you try to speak to them, they're they're completely clogged. They're completely, so you have to do with them a mitzvah. 
you know, one of the things that the Rebbe introduced, introduced one, one, of the, one of the most amazing things is Mitzayim. Mitzayim is to reach, to go around the world, all over, wherever we travel, wherever we go, meet Jews and do a mitzvah, put on film with them, have them light Shabbos candles, whatever it is, a mitzvah. So you, sometimes people ask, when you do one mitzvah, what have you impacted the person? Sometimes it's only the mitzvah that when you're talking to them, will go, the words will go in one ear, go out the other. They're not, they're not, they're not kalim. But a mitzvah, what does a mitzvah do? It lifts them up from where they are, puts them, it envelops them in holiness. And the idea the Alter Rebbe explains, that's why we put on talus and tefillin every morning, and we pray with our talus and tefillin for a man. Why do you play with a talus and a tefillin? Because it sets the stage. The main part of the davening is the meditation and the deep connection you're going to have through thinking and learning in the words of davening. But you need to set the stage. Just came out of bed, just was so physical, so earthy. How do you stand in front of God and suddenly pray and have the purity? It's a talus and the tefillin provide the makif, which later, get, which lifts you up. Tzedakah tereimim also one of the reasons you're supposed to give tzedakah before you daven. Give tzedakah, it lifts you into a pure, higher place. It's an elevator, and then you'll probably be far more successful into drawing down the orpanimi. That's what he explains over there. So when a person stands by an animal and he says, you're going to be consecrated with your words in your mouth, you provide the Ur-Makif, it lifts the animal up from the klipas, minoga, from the klipas noga, which is the klipa, and allows the animal to start communicating with its source, in its source, in the world of toyu, which is from this very, very deep place of where the emanation of Hashem's mouth and this idea that the Alter Rebbe continues, that a person's words can create makifim, which is a little strange, because the human, the whole idea of human is lights in vessels. Is It's called the opposite of makifim. It's called yosher. Yosher means energies that go into kalim, into vessels, like direct light, as opposed to circles. Circles are makifim. Human being is yosher. So how does the human being create the makifim? Like we said earlier, in order to get to our own makifim encompassing energy, we need the animal that brings us to our encompassing energies of our soul. So how come the human through his speech will create? So he says that's a mystical idea. That we find, it says so already in Eitz Chaim, that from the initial thread, that comes after the tzimtzum, from it come all the circles. This is referring to, I'm going to do this very briefly because I'm running a little later than I thought I would. <laughs> I elaborated a little too much on all this. Okay, I guess it's for a purpose. Um, the, 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 there is a, we know there is a, um, initially when Hashem created the world, there was infinite light that filled the entire space. And then Hashem removed and created this black space, a black hole. And into the black where he removed his, his presence, not his real presence, but his revealed presence. So it's just a void and emptiness. And within this black hole, he creates the worlds. How does he create it? He reintroduces a tiny, narrow, little slim, if you can say, a little narrow thread. So according to Kabbalah, that thread, which is on the one hand um, considered already constrict, constricted light, and it's meant to be adjusted, so it's the source of lights that go into vessels. But from it, as it, con as it makes its way into the black hole to start creating, it first, before it creates any internal vessels, it first, cre it first produces encompassing lights, 
and in circles, and in, in each circle, it creates within that circle the spherot, the attributes which are the configurations that work, that are the indwelling kind of energy, the internal within that circle. And then it continues lower and it creates another circle. So you see from there that the or yashar, the kavin, the chut, the or yashar, is the source of, of or makifs. So this would be the same thing that the human who's really rooted in the concept of kavachut creates the circles. I know that I've given very, very little explanation on this, but for another time. There's a little error over here. It looks like to me the comma, I think, is after the word agulim. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be after the word makifim. That's the only way it makes sense. Umisaglim agulim umakifim, to my limited understanding. That misaglim, it, it, it causes the, brings the circles of haigulim, the, the, the circles, umakifim, and the encompassing lines. Vagulim umakifim elu, and these igulim and these makifim, hem makifim gamkein, I'll see him akavetachtasayosher, then later become the, the encompassing lights that encompass everything, even the bottom of, of the yosher. Why he mentions that, I'm not. I'm not sure. And similar to that, there is a koyach in a person. Which the person's source is in the yosher element. To also draw forth these encompassing lights and, and circlings, these spheres. Which come from the kav. Because that's the shorish of the yosher, which is the person. And this is the idea. Through this, that a person consecrates the animal with his mouth. The person draws down into it the makif. But nevertheless, he only gives to it an or makif. So even if see, the person is giving the or, first of all, he's giving an or makif to the animal. But also, even the ormakif, he's not getting the pnimius of the makif. He's only, in other words, when the person is saying, let, there, yeah, let this be an animal, he's drawing down from the lights of tohu. But the way I understand it, what it means is the external parts of tohu. In order to activate the real inner energies of tohu, the person has no connection to that. That he, the animal has to be the representative. The animal goes up on the altar, and that reaches the inner parts of tohu, and that in response, reciprocates and channels that to the human who, who elevated the animal. So there is a give and take going on over here, both directions. So the human can draw down from the ormakiv only the chitzenius of it, the external. The, but that's needed to shake the animal up from its dark space. The pnimius of the carbon and the, its life is higher than the person. And maybe that's also the reason he can't reach the panemius of the animal. That's what it seems like he's saying. is because the panemius inner core of the animal is higher than the person. The person can't reach it. Even while the animal is low, the person can only mock if the animal. They can't reach its panemius because the panemius of the animal is really higher than the person. Connected to the panemius of the mock that the human can't reach. And the Tzemach Tzedek adds, this is similar to what it says in Eitz Chaim, the Arizal, in the portal of Sfiras Omer Peregimel, which is talking about the mitzvah of counting the Omer. He says over there that when we count the Omer and the blessing we make when we count the Omer, we draw down a makif light. General, I just want to say one thing. This idea that before we can elevate something, we first have to, we first have to zap it 
with, we just have to shock it with, with powerful light. And then it shock, by shocking it, it shakes, you kind of knock it out of its, out of its smugness, out of its comfort zone. And then it's, then it's a vessel. We also find that by a mitzvah. Before you do a mitzvah, you say the blessing on the mitzvah. The blessing on the mitzvah, the sages say, is called oiver le'asiyasan. Simply it means you can't make the blessing after the mitzvah is done, you must do it before. But over also means surrounding. Because by saying the blessing, you zap the object with a powerful makif light. That shakes the physical, the, physical, the physical item out of the klipa. The klipas all run away because they're scared of the or makif, they disappear. Then it's free. Then when you do the mitzvah, you're actually engaging it in the final. So the Eitz Chaim says by Svira Sa'omer, when we count the Omer, we're making a blessing and we're counting. By both these things, we're impacting the, the animal side, the dark elements in the world with an Ormakif. Omnam or Pnimi, the Eitz Chaim says, Ein anu ata. The inner light we can't draw down. This was only drawn when the Beis Amigdash was standing, similar to what we're just saying, that a carbon, you need a carbon to get to the inner element of the makif. So Eitzchayim says, today's days we can't offer the Omer. Omer was a measure of barley they offered in the Beis Amigdash. We don't have that. So the main pneumistiga light, which happened in the time of the temple, we were only able to do it when we had the actual barley, which barley, by the way, an animal is the same thing, because barley is considered fodder. It's considered food for animal. So just like we... But what we could do is kind of get at least to the external element of the process. Uh, but even though we initially, the human, can't impact the animal to the panemius of it, but when is the, but by the, it doesn't mean that we don't have a connection to it. We do. But for that, it will take the animal actually going on the altar, and then that second stage will happen. And this is the same idea of a neder. Nedarim help you reach abstinence. Why do you want abstinence? Because a person estimates himself, evaluates himself. You're honest with yourself. You realize that you don't have the ability to raise the animal. Imagine if you're drinking the beer and you're drinking, God forbid, your own father. And soul's been waiting for the elevation and now you knocked it down even darker. When you recognize that you don't have the ability to lift it up to its source, from that very, very sublime source, why? Through your eating, why can't you? Because the person realizes that I'm attached to the physical. How can I lift something up into the spiritual if I myself identify with the physical? I'm not a spiritual being. I, I, I mean, you know, the, 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 you know, the food is, 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 is controlling me. I'm not controlling the food. How can I elevate the food? Look at look in the Mayim or Kaisa Varchu Pashas Nasi where he discusses this. That's why the person separates from it. So that doesn't mean when you're separating, therefore, what's the what's the food's fault that you can't elevate? It's begging that to be elevated. So it's not like it's all that that just because you're not ready, you can't deal with it. You could. You can activate another method. It's not as great, but at least it's partial, partial repair. You actually do elevate the food. By this, that you're abstain, you make a vow, which means abstain, an, a, 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 
a vow of abstinence. But you don't just make a vow pushing it away. You're saying it should be consecrated like something that is a korban. Let this be like a korban. Through this, he draws down the makif like Mishar Shayhan Naila from its very, very high source, Mimoitza Hapeh from the source of the mouth. And that's why Chazal say, It's a Safri. It's a Medrash, Safri, where the Safri says, anybody that makes a neder, it's like a vow shouldn't be taken lightly. A vow is like you're making a vow in the life of the king. What does it mean, of the life of the king? So he's explaining just Kabbalistically. Since a vow activates makif, he says all makifim are associated with the power of bina. Bina is the source of makifim. We know sukkahs, for instance, we sit under a sukkah, which is an ur makif. We know it's called makifim, the bina. Bina is called makif because it's makif, I think, over the emotions. The emotions are internal energy, and intellect is considered makif compared to the emotions, particularly bina. Now, so he says, Bina is called Chaye HaMelech, the life of the king. Obviously talking about God, the king, the life of the king. Which, life of the king is higher than the king. So let's understand what that means. Shechina is called the queen. Sometimes. Sometimes it's called the king, but Shechina. Um, the Zeir Anpin, which is the six emotions higher than Shechina, is called the king. What's the life of the king? What's even higher from where the Zeir Anpin gets its energy? Where does the, the, the energy get it? And from its mother, what's the mother? That's Bina. So, and Bina is called, therefore it's called Chaye Amelech. So that's what the Sifri says. When you make a vow, you're actually making a vow in the life of the king. You're touching upon Bina. Because Bina is a source of Makif. And the Alter Rebbe is just using that to prove the idea that the idea of a vow is to draw down and activate an Ur Makif. This is the idea that abstinence brings to holiness. Because when you're abstaining, you're not just abstaining, you're actually elevating it to its holy source. Holiness is higher than abstinence. Holiness is the Ein Sof. You're connecting it to the lights of Torah. That's why the sages say, that you can't, you can't, um, um, make it holy by comparison, only by comparing it to something that is made holy through the mouth. Just like something that is a korban, a sacrifice, a thing that is donated to the base of Mingdash. A korban, like a korban, actually is elevated, is through the sanctification of a person's mouth. That the person elevates it. Which through this a person draws it down upon it in an encompassing light. And this is what magdish means. Just like kedushin. Or makif, which is the drawing down of the lights of the makif. Oh, so, so this is what I mentioned earlier. It's the same like a marriage, where in a marriage the man brings down on the bride, on his kala, on his oh, uh, uh, first an encompassing light. Then they later can have the a deeper union, ubia, and the uh, and the marital union, which is an indwelling light. 
So similar to that when you're magdish the karba, when you consecrate the animal through the mouth. If you draw upon it in encompassing light, and afterwards when you offer it and it becomes a carbon, that's when you draw down the internal light. And then it elevates the person. You elevate it, and then it elevates the person. Canal. And the same is also by an avow. Through the words, in which you hinge it onto something else. You say, this should be like a sacrifice. But after your speech, human speech, through this you draw down the light of makif. And you elevate it. And this is the concept of vows for those who took vows for, for God's sake, for a holy purpose. People who made vows in an unholy way, that we're not talking about. People who took vows with the right intentions did it with this intention. Then on this they say, that the Dharam brings you to a state of abstinence, and abstinence brings you to holiness. This is, this, is, this, is, this is a very, very, very noble way of dealing with the world when you're not ready. But here's one thing. Today's days, we know we're supposed to say Bali Neder. Now, if a Neder is so important, why shouldn't we say Neder? Today's days, we're told to say Bali Neder. Because the idea is, however, today's days, why? So here he doesn't say, but I think in the original Maimur explains, because we're not on such a high level, even to make a Neder. Now, the highest level you have to be in order to elevate through eating. Lower than that is to make a Neder. Why? Because I think, it's my own thought, to make a Neder, you're also... It's, we said before, the power is through human speech. So a person can be a total human, real human, and then you can eat the animal. You can be semi, semi-human, and at least you still have the power in your speech to be able to create our market. But if you even lost that, and you don't even have a trace of that human, that real quality of human as godly human, and you don't have that, then we don't even have the power with our mouth to say something to, to be able to elevate it. So today's days, even if we're practicing abstinence, it must be Beli Neder without a Neder. Oh wait, very soon, we're going to be on the highest levels. Actually, I'm just going to conclude with one beautiful thought. Not only when Mashiach will come, will we suddenly so quickly be elevated to our human status, but animals are going to be much higher. It says that the, uh, from the Rebbe Marash, the, the fourth Chabad Rebbe says, that when Mashiach comes, we're going to be able to do sacrifices. On Some people think we won't have sacrifices then. We will have sacrifices. And the sacrifices then will be higher than there has ever been because we say in Davening, there in the third temple we will do commitments like you commanded us. So one of the explanations, the Rebbe, the, the Rebbe Marash explains why then we will do. He says because in order for a carbon to be perfect, the human bringing the carbon has to be on his highest level and the animal has to be on his highest level. When Mashiach will come, animals will know God too. As it says, all flesh will see. Even animals will have. Animals won't be predatory anymore. Animals will be in a much higher level. So the human will be a human. The one who's bringing the carbon will be the, the human. He will be really reflecting Shema. The animal will be on the highest level. The animal can be tamim, complete. And then we will offer the carbon. So even though we're putting ourselves down now, we're saying we can't even make a vow. That's only for the last seconds or two left. And then... A, a, but Ezra Hashem, very soon, will be way beyond that. Ezra Hashem. May we see it now. Thank you for listening.